evening with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling. If we could turn back to that psalm which we read, Psalm 63. And I'd like us just to walk through this psalm, but uh, we can just read again at the beginning. Psalm 63 at the beginning. It says there in the title, A Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so on. As Christians, we are commanded to follow the greatest commandment. And the greatest commandment, as we know from Deuteronomy 6, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And this love which we are to have for the Lord, it must capture and control uh, the entirety of our being, our, our mind, our heart, our will, our affections, our soul. Our entire being must be devoted to the Lord and devoted to loving the Lord. And it's this love for and devotion to the Lord that that's to def- that is what is to define and shape our lives. And our love for the Lord, as Jesus says, that will be evidenced by our love for others. Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love for the Lord is to be the defining feature in our lives. And we're to continually be casting away all these competing idols that are competing for our heart it was John Calvin who said that our heart is it's a factory of idols always producing idols but we're to cast away all these competitors for the throne of our heart and ensure that we have one love one focus one passion and that is to be the Lord nothing must rival our love for the Lord he must be our Number one affection. He must have the supremacy in our life. And this love for God. It must be marked by our our passion for the Lord. Our excitement for his truth. Our fervency in communion with him. And our enthusiasm for his cause. And you know it's interesting that the word enthusiasm. Actually comes from the Greek word entheos. Meaning in God. And so, meaning that we're only to have one true enthusiasm in our lives. And that enthusiasm is to be our love for God. Because every other enthusiasm which we have in our lives, you could say they are secondary. They're secondary enthusiasms. But the Lord is to be our enthusiasm. And our love and our affection for the Lord is to drive our passion. And it's to drive our enthusiasm for his cause. And you know, that's what we see when we come to Psalm 63. We see in the life of David a soul that is full of passion for the Lord. And it's a passion for the Lord which is being driven by a love for the Lord. But you know, what we ought to know is that this love and passion for the Lord, it arose through persecution. Because we're told in the title of the psalm that It was written by David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And David was in the wilderness of Judah because he was fleeing from his son Absalom 
who was rebelling against him. We can read about uh, the rebellion of Absalom, uh, Absalom in 2 Samuel 15, chapter 15 to around chapter 19. And it's in those chapters that we're told that Absalom had killed his brother Amnon and then he, he fled from Jerusalem. And after about four years, he had gathered an army and he had gained favor with the men of Israel. And Absalom, he was returning to Jerusalem to, to come against his father, the king, David, in Jerusalem. And it was this great political tactic that he had. He was gaining this rise in power. And as he approached Jerusalem, David knew that Absalom was coming to kill him. And so David, he left his throne in Jerusalem. He fled with those who remained loyal to him. And he fled into the wilderness of Judah to hide from his own son, Absalom. But you know, as David reveals to us the anatomy of his soul, you could say, in Psalm 63. He expresses to us that his persecution, it may be driving him away from Jerusalem. But it's driving him towards the Lord. It might be driving him out of the city, but it's not driving him away from the Lord. Because his persecution and this trial in his life, you can see that it's driving, to him, it's driving him to his knees. And it's causing him to love the Lord more deeply, to walk with the Lord more closely. And it's enabling him to seek the Lord with all his soul. And you know, what we ought to learn from David's experience is that trials and persecution, they're not put in our lives to, to drive us away from the Lord. They are there to drive us to the Lord. They're there to drive us to our knees. And they're there to produce in us this renewed passion, this renewed enthusiasm for the Lord and for his cause. And you know, that's what we see with David in uh, the example of his life. Because even though his life was Hanging in the balance, you could say. His son was chasing him to kill him. Even though his life was hanging in the balance, his soul was full of passion for the Lord. And that's what David speaks about in Psalm 63. He speaks about his soul. He doesn't speak about his life. He speaks about his soul. And there are three things he says about his soul. He says, my soul is seeking. My soul is satisfied. And he says, my soul is secure. He says, my soul is seeking, my soul is satisfied, and my soul is secure. So we look first of all at David saying, my soul is seeking. My soul is seeking. Look at verse 1. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. And so as David is, is on the run from his son, his son Absalom, he describes the wilderness of Judah in verse 1. He says that it's a dry and weary land where there is no water. But you know, his description of the wilderness, it's a mirror image of his own soul. Because he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you. My entire being, he's saying, is yearning to know you more and to love you deeper and follow you closer. And so this trial and persecution that was in David's life, it's causing him to pursue the Lord more earnestly. 
He's in this passionate pursuit for the Lord. And you know, David is an example for us and what our soul ought to be like when we're faced with persecution and trials. Because you know, David knew what it was to encounter opposition from his own family. David knew what it was to have family troubles, problems in the home. David knew what it was to be to be caught off guard and to fall into sin. The adultery with Bathsheba, the lies and the murder of Uriah. David knew what it was to, to feel alone. He was here in the desert. David knew what it was to find himself in the fires of adversity. But like David, in all these trials, we see that he grew in grace. And he grew in the knowledge of his Saviour through them all. And you know, we increase in our love for the Lord and our passion for his cause. And it's through these trials, it's through the persecution that our soul will burn with passion for the Lord. And this is what David emphasizes, emphasizes in the opening words of this psalm. He says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. And with this David, he's saying that despite his persecution, despite the trial in his life, the Lord is his priority. The Lord is his passion. His relationship with the Lord is first and foremost in his life above everything else. And it's, it's a personal relationship. Because he says, oh God, you are my God. You are my God. It's a personal relationship. And David knows that his relationship with the Lord should be his priority in his life. Before any other relationship which he has. Before anyone else. He's to love the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul and strength. And before anything else, he's to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you know, this should be our passion as Christians. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Earnestly I seek you. And this word earnestly, it's translated in the authorised version as early. Implying early in the morning. And I believe what is, is meant by that. Or by, meant by the early and the earnestly. It's having the Lord as the priority of your life. Making him the priority. Because what David is saying is that. He desires to seek the Lord. Before he will seek anyone or anything else. David's saying that. His waking thought. As soon as he opens his, his eyes. It's not to the day ahead or to what has to be done or what he has to, to do or where he has to be. But his waking thought is the Lord. Thanks the Lord for a new day. Mercy's ground. Renewed mercies. And you know, in such a fast-paced world that we're in, governed by timetables and deadlines, David's reminding us that our waking thought when we open our eyes in the morning it shouldn't be to check our phone for text messages or to check our emails. It shouldn't be to, to look on, I don't know, Facebook and, and see what's been posted whilst we were asleep. Our first port of call is to seek the Lord. The priority in our lives should be our relationship with the Lord. And we should earnestly seek the Lord in his word to know what he wants us, to know what he wants to say to us for that day. We should seek the Lord in prayer, asking him just to get through another day in life's journey. 
And we should seek the Lord in worship, pleading for opportunities just to witness for Christ on another day. Another opportunity. My friend, our waking thought should be as we were just singing, Lord, thee my God, I'll early seek. My soul doth thirst for thee. And you know, God forbid that we, that we become passive in our relationship with the Lord. God forbid that we become stoic and cold and apathetic and clinical in our Christianity. God forbid that we just sit back and do nothing and just wait for the Lord to move us. Because that's not what David is indicating here. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. There's just pursuing after God. Earnestly I seek you. And we have to ask ourselves, my friend, is there that kind of passion and earnestness for the Lord in our heart? Is there that kind of discipline and commitment to the Lord where he is first and foremost in our lives? Is our relationship with the Lord our priority? Or is it just a secondary issue? Is it a boxed off compartment that we have in our lives? And you know, if the Lord is only a secondary issue in our lives, then we are not denying self. And we're not taking up our cross daily. My friend, we need to have a single vision and we need to have a single focus upon the Lord. That's what we see David affirming to us in verse 2. He says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David's eyes, they are not towards himself. They're not looking at other, other people or other Christians or even the trial that he's going through in his life. David's eyes are upon the Lord. And even though he's going through this wilderness experience, this wilderness trial, his eyes are towards Jerusalem and they're towards the tabernacle. His eyes are towards the mercy seat where the Lord sat enthroned in power and glory. His eyes are upon the throne of grace because he knows that's where he will find mercy and that's where he will find grace to help in time of need. And in the midst of all that's going on in David's life, you know, with running from Absalom, the men of Israel turning against him, and even the fear of death, in the midst of all that's going on, David sets his face towards the Lord because he knows in his own soul that the covenant love of the Lord means more to him than life itself. That's what he says in verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Since better is thy love than life, my lips thee praise shall give. David confesses that the covenant love which the Lord has demonstrated towards him, it's more important than his own life. More important than life itself. Because David knows that his circumstances and his life, it's only temporal and transient. But he also knows that the covenant love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And you know, there's so much in that one statement. Your steadfast love is better than life. But David, he's clinging to this covenant that is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. And you know, as we listen to David express these innermost feelings of his soul, you can almost 
hear his passion and enthusiasm for the Lord. You can hear all these words echoing in the words of the Apostle Paul. Where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, Our light affliction, it's but for a moment. But it's working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're only temporal. They're transient, they're passing. But the things that are unseen, he says, they are eternal. They're eternal. And for David, by looking to the things that are unseen and eternal, he says in verse 4, So I will bless you as long as I live. As long as I have life, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will bless you. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. David confesses that he will bless the Lord as long as he lives. And as we've said before, the word bless, we should pick up on it straight away because we know it means to kneel. And so David is confessing as the king. He's the king of Israel. He's confessing that he will continue to kneel before the Lord and live in submission to the Lord so long as he lives. As long as he has breath in his lungs, he will live his life in submission to the Lord. And what David is confessing is that the Lord is going to be first and foremost in his life. The Lord is going to be his priority and his passion in his life. His soul is going to seek the Lord. And live for him as long as life endures. And so as David increases in passion through his persecution. He doesn't speak about his life. He speaks about his soul. His soul. And he says my soul is seeking. My soul is seeking the Lord. But secondly he says my soul is satisfied. It's satisfied in the Lord. My soul is satisfied in the Lord. If you look at verse 5, he says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the sh shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. And so as David continues to speak about the passion of his soul through uh, the experience of persecution, He's already told us that the thirst of his soul, will, it will never be satisfied until he seeks the Lord with all his heart. David knows that in order to grow in his relationship with the Lord and know the Lord better and love the Lord more earnestly, he must seek the Lord with all his soul. But David also knows that when his soul seeks the Lord, his soul will be satisfied with the Lord. And is that not what Jesus said to us in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. David has the assurance that when he has a passion for the Lord, he will derive his greatest pleasure in God. Because he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My soul shall be satisfied with marwan fatness. And marwan fatness, it's uh, the picture of this rich banquet. This feast that's been set. It's a great banquet with everything that could satisfy our hunger and thirst. And it's prepared for us, there for the taking. But of course David's not speaking about his stomach. He's speaking about his soul. And he's saying that in seeking the Lord, the Lord has 
satisfied his soul with this great banquet provision in the gospel. David's soul is satisfied with Jesus. And all he can do in response to to the provision that has been made for him is praise the Lord. His response is praise. He says in verse 5, My soul will be satisfied with, as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And we've seen this response from David already uh, to the Lord's provision. Because he said in verse 3, he said about the covenant love. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And then in verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And it seems that David's outward experience of his inward passion of the Lord, his outward expression, you could say, is his praise to the Lord. And that's what Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. It speaks in praise and adoration. The evidence of a soul which is seeking Jesus and a soul which is satisfied in Jesus is a soul that sings to Jesus. And my friend, don't you want to be this kind of Christian? Don't you want to be this kind of Christian? I do. A Christian who's seeking and pursuing and desiring more and more of Jesus. And a Christian that is fully satisfied with Jesus. Fully satisfied. Spurgeon once preached a sermon called The Sip That Satisfies. The Sip That Satisfies. And in this sermon Spurgeon stressed that one sip of the rivers of living water. Speaking about the woman at the well. One sip, just one sip. And he says that throughout time and eternity, our soul will never hunger or thirst again. And Jesus is the only one who can bring that through through lasting satisfaction in our lives. And when we are satisfied in Jesus, we will be like David. We will have a heart for the Lord. We will be passionate and enthusiastic for Jesus. And you know, that's not to say that we don't find satisfaction in our homes or our families or from our work or from the beauty of creation or all these things. But you know, I want to say that we can never truly be satisfied in our family until we are satisfied in Jesus. We will never have enough in our homes until we are satisfied with what Jesus has given to us. Going to work will be drudgery and mundane until we are satisfied in Jesus. As we live in this world and it seems to be chaos and madness. And it will continue to be chaos and madness in our eyes. Unless our soul is fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. And we are fixed upon him. Fixed upon him. And you know, don't you love love those opening words of Psalm 108? I love them. What it says, my, the psalmist, he's focusing upon Jesus. And the psalmist says, he opens his psalm and he says, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed, Lord. I will sing with my glory and with my glory praise. My heart is fixed, Lord. I know that's how we need to be. That's how we ought to be. We need to have a heart that is fixed upon the Lord. Our soul needs to be stayed upon the Lord. We need to be satisfied in Jesus. That's what we need. We need to be satisfied in Jesus. And that's what David emphasizes 
on in verse 6. When I remember you, when I call upon you in my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David is saying that whether it's early in the morning that he's seeking him or lying in bed late at night, he's saying, Jesus is on my mind. Jesus is on my mind. You remember the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy presence, my light. And David says that when he wakes up during the night, his first thought is upon the Lord. He meditates upon the Lord and he seeks the Lord in prayer because he knows that the Lord, he's one who slumbers not, nor sleeps. And you know, I know there are many people who struggle to sleep at night. The watches of the night sometimes seem like they'll never come to an end. But you know, David's reminding us that even in the darkness of the night, when we set our mind upon the Lord, the Lord, he says, will be our help. And it's under the protection of his wings that we can sing for joy. Under his care and keeping. We are to have our soul satisfied in Jesus by fixing our mind upon him. Even in the watches of the night. Set your mind upon things above, says Paul, where Christ is seated. Not on the things on the earth. Set your affection on the things above. We're to have a mind upon Jesus. We're to be heavenly minded. We are to be heavenly minded. And you always hear people saying that uh, some people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. But you know, that person doesn't actually exist. That person doesn't exist because the truth is we will never be of any earthly use until we are first of all heavenly minded. We'll never be of any earthly earthly use unless our minds are upon Jesus unless our affection is set upon Jesus Christ we have to have our mind on Jesus and make him our focus and our desire and our longing and our passion we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart our mind our soul and our strength our whole being is to be preoccupied with Jesus we are to be Obsessed with Jesus. We're to have a passion for Jesus. Because as David says. He is our help. He says in verse 7. You have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings. I will sing for joy. And you know my friend. How can we put anyone else before Jesus? Because no one else has ever come to our aid. Like Jesus has. No one else has ever satisfied our soul like Jesus. No one else has ever loved us like Jesus. No one has ever delivered us from sin like Jesus. No one has ever set our feet upon a rock like Jesus. No one has ever cleansed us, made us white like Jesus. No one ever put a new song in our mouth like Jesus. No one has ever shepherded us like Jesus. No one has ever gone before us, walked beside us, come behind us, lived inside of us been over us, been under us. No one has ever done that like Jesus. No one has ever helped us like this Jesus. And David's saying, you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. 
No one has ever been to us like Jesus has. And you know, we have to see that David, he isn't actually asking the Lord for anything. He just wants the Lord. He's just wanting the Lord. Doesn't want anything from him. He just wants to know him better. More, he wants to know him more deeply. And he's, he's saying to us in this psalm, my soul is seeking the Lord. My soul is satisfied in the Lord. And then lastly, as David increases in passion throughout or through his persecution, he says, my soul is secure in the Lord. My soul is secure in the Lord. He says in verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. <coughs> you know, from his own experience, David is affirming to us in these closing verses that those who have a passion for the Lord will cling to the Lord. They will lay hold of the Lord by faith. That's what he says in verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So David's soul is, is clinging to the Lord because the Lord's right hand is upholding him. His soul is able to, to lay hold of the Lord because the Lord has laid hold of him. And you know, it's, it's like, you could say, it's like that experience in the life of Jacob. You remember when Jacob, he was wrestling the angel of the Lord all night. And Jacob, he's, he's clinging onto the Lord while the Lord is upholding him. And Jacob is pleading with the Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go. And you know, my friend, do we know what it is for our soul to cling to the Lord? Do we know what it is to say to the Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know you more deeply. I want to know about your character more, more earnestly. I want to know about your compassion. I want to know more about your son. I want to know more about your spirit. I want to know you more. Because without you, I can do nothing. But with you, I know that all things are possible. All things are possible. And you know what's interesting is that David wrote this psalm when he was in the wilderness. He didn't write it after the event had taken place. He wrote these words in the wilderness without knowing his future. But he also knew that his son Absalom and his, his army, he knew that they wouldn't be victorious over the king of Israel. Which is why he says in verse 9, Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. David trusted in the Lord and he knew that whether in life or in death, his soul was secure. And this was hard for David because his own son, his own flesh and blood was his enemy. Absalom was seeking to take his life. And if we were to read the passages in 2 Samuel David makes it clear to his army that he, he doesn't want Absalom to die. But David knows that the Lord is righteous. And the Lord warned his people, touch not mine anointed. 
Do not touch those who are anointed, the kings. And as we know from the narrative in 2 Samuel 18, after the servants of David, after they had defeated uh, the men of Israel, Absalom, he tried to escape on, on a mule and he was caught under some trees. The branches, I don't know if it caught his hair or his neck, but he was left hanging mid-air. The mule carried on. And then when David's servants found him, well, they took opportunity to kill him. And when David was told about what would happen to what had happened to Absalom, he wasn't there at the time. But when David was told, his reaction wasn't one of joy and elation. His reaction was weeping and mourning. We're told at the end of 2 Samuel 18, the last verse it says, The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David mourned and wept. Because he knew that his son Absalom had not only turned against him, but he had also turned against the Lord. David mourned and wept for his son and the waywardness of his son. But he rejoiced in the Lord. He rejoiced in the Lord because he says in verse 11, The king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. As David's soul clings to the Lord, he knows that his soul is secure. He knows that when he stands on the side of the Lord, he's secure. Because if God is for him, who can be against him? And this is why David says about himself, he says, The king shall rejoice in God. The king shall rejoice in God. But what we ought to notice about the last verse is that David refers to himself in the third person. He says, The king shall rejoice in God. He doesn't say, I will rejoice, which he's been saying all the way through the psalm. He says, the king will rejoice in God. Uh, What I believe David is doing here in this last verse is that he's highlighting the office of the king, or the, the office of king in Israel. He's highlighting it over and against himself as a person, David. He's saying, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. And you know, by mentioning his office as king rather than himself, I believe that David is, he's pointing to the covenant promise of the Lord. Because the promise of the Lord given back in 2 Samuel 7 was that David would have a kingdom. David would have a dynasty. David would have a a lineage of royalty. And that from that dynasty, Jesus Christ would come. The Lord promised to David in in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And David is saying to us, my soul is secure Because of the covenant promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. My soul is secure in him. He is the king of kings. And his throne is from everlasting to everlasting. And his kingdom is forever. And David is saying, my soul is secure. Because as the redeemer of God's people, 
Jesus will execute the office of a king by subduing me to himself, by ruling and defending me, and by restraining and conquering all his and my enemies. David says, my soul is secure because Jesus will deal with my sin, he will deal with my death, and he will conquer my grave. And that's the testimony of every believer. The testimony of every believer. My soul is secure because nothing or no one can separate me from the love of Christ. My soul is secure. My friend, we need to have a passion for the Lord. A passion for the Lord. We need to possess the same fervency that David has in Psalm 63 when he's saying, my soul is seeking the Lord. My soul is satisfied with the Lord. My soul is secure in the Lord. We need to have this passion because there's one thing we can't be as a follower of Jesus and that is lukewarm. Because when we're lukewarm, we have no passion for the Lord and people don't know where we stand. We're neither hot nor cold. We're lukewarm, we're indifferent, we're full of apathy, we're lazy, we're not focused upon the Lord. We're caught up with self. Instead of denying self. And you know that's the warning that Jesus gave to the church in Laodicea. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. And because you're lukewarm he says I will spew you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. And Jesus says to them, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, says Jesus, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. And that word zealous, it means to be hot and boiling over. It's the image of boiling water, bubbling over the top of the pan. Hot and boiling over. And that's what we should want for our own lives. We should want to be zealous and passionate and fervent for the Lord and for his cause. Because do you know what lukewarm is? Lukewarm is room temperature. Lukewarm is room temperature. It's neither hot nor cold. It's just room temperature. It's comfortable. It's comfortable. And when we're comfortable, there's no distinctiveness in our lives. We just blend into our surroundings. And we don't stand out from the world. We're room temperature. We're comfortable. We're neither hot nor cold. We're just lukewarm. And Jesus says, if you're lukewarm... It makes him want to puke. That's the graphic image he's giving to us. He wants to spew us out of his mouth. My friend, we need to have a soul that is passionate for the Lord. Passionate for the Lord. And we need to, to come to the psalm and remind ourselves to say with David, as he does in psalm, here in Psalm 63, my soul is seeking the Lord. My soul is satisfied. With the Lord. My soul is secure in the Lord. So may we all have this passion, this fervency, this desire 
to go on with the Lord. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, that we would truly seek Thee with all our heart, that Thy word reminds us that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. Lord, we plead that thou wouldest give to us this passion for thyself. Give to us a burning heart that longs after Jesus, that we would truly seek the Lord while he is to be found, and to keep seeking him, to keep inquiring after him, to say as the psalmist, my heart is fixed, Lord, and I will sing. O Lord, help us, we pray, for we realise that we are those who seem so apathetic, seem so consumed by the world, so cold to the things of God. But Lord, we plead that thou wouldest stir up within us that fervency that inquires after thee, and that we would be like those on the road to Emmaus that always say, did not our heart burn within us? As he walked with us on the way, and as he opened up unto us the scriptures, that thou wouldest speak to us, that thou wouldest challenge us, that thou wouldest equip us for where we are and what we are doing, that we might have an eye to lifting up the name of Jesus, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing then that all other things shall be added unto us. All go before us then, we pray. Guide us and keep us. Guard us and watch over us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And for his sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing the concluding words of that psalm. Psalm 63, page 296. We're singing from verse 6 to the end of the psalm. When I do thee upon my bed, remember with delight. And when on thee I meditate and watches off the night. In shadow of thy wings I'll joy. For thou mine help hast been, my soul thee follows hard on me, thy right hand doth sustain. Down to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. When I
Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.